Welcome to PFF Wire. I'm Doug Kide, joined once again by Brad Spielberger. Brad, you were gone Friday. Good to see you again here on Monday. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I was up in uh, your old neck of the woods in, in, New, in New England. Um, had some Maine lobster, so I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I was at the, the Patriots game on Sunday covering the game. A uh, real barn burner there between the Ravens and Patriots, but they had lobster rolls for us at, at lunch in the in the press box. So I think we both had some some lobster this weekend. So good way to kick off this show talking about some lobster. But there was some other news in that game. Mac Jones injured on the final play. Um, uh, Clayus Campbell, the Ravens defensive lineman, kind of hung on him after a passing attempt. Mac Jones crumpled down to the ground, immediately grabbed at his left ankle. And then very dramatically hopped off the field on one foot before departing straight to the locker room. Uh, there's since been tests done, reportedly a very severe high ankle sprain. So we're all kind of waiting to see what, I guess, the definitive prognosis, how long he's going to be out for. It does still seem like, based on some of these reports, that there's like still some hope that he could continue playing through this. But I'm not sure how many quarterbacks have played through high ankle sprains in the past. Yeah, it's interesting because there's also reports, you know, Mike Giardi, for example, NFL Network, basically saying he would expect a surgery, probably that tightrope procedure that we saw Tua Tagovailoa get at Alabama when Mac Jones was there in the building, Uh, Michael Thomas, some other guys. So generally, it gets you back on the field faster if you get that tightrope surgery for the high ankle sprain. There is, of course, the risk that it can, like a Michael Thomas, maybe prolong or extend the injury, but... Yeah, I, anyone thinking he's he's going to play this weekend, it seems like we're trending in the opposite direction at this time. Yeah, I know that the Patriots really value toughness out of their quarterbacks. I'm not sure how many you know high ankle sprains Tom Brady played through during the course of his career. I know that there was some some drama when Jimmy Garoppolo was briefly starting for the Patriots when Tom Brady was suspended that he wouldn't play through injuries that Jacoby Brissett had to wind up starting for him. So I wouldn't be shocked if there's some know internal pressure maybe not not pressure but um i don't know i'm just kind of curious to see how all of this goes because the patriots backup quarterbacks are brian hoyer and bailey zappy bailey zappy is a rookie he was drafted in the fourth round uh pretty surprising the patriots drafted him in the fourth round over a guy like sam howell um but it seems like it would probably be brian hoyer running the show and i'd say that the one concern for mac jones having surgery is Yes, you can return faster from a surgery, but I do think that there would probably be a set amount of time that he would have to recover after that surgery. I don't think that you could necessarily play through it at that point. So I'm very curious to see how this goes because you don't really want Brian Hoyer starting for four or five games, whatever this is, uh, you know, during the course of what's begun as a disappointing Patriots season. There's no question about it. Um, You know, I I agree. I think Hoyer would probably have a decently long leash. He obviously has been there for a long time, knows the offense, um, but it's not necessarily good news. And maybe at at a certain point you do make the decision of, look, this is what we've done in the past with guys like Jacoby Brissett, with Jimmy Garoppolo. We understand sometimes all it takes is a four or five game window of a guy starting. And then we get, we recoup a draft pick. It's even better than, you know, the the draft pick we use to acquire this player or, um, you know, the guy just goes out Matt Flynn type deal in, in Green Bay and signs a massive contract in free agency uh, with the Seattle Seahawks. And they got a comp pick and then he kind of barely played. So 
Right. The Patriots do have a very good understanding of you can always maximize all these different windows and all these various things that go wrong. You can spin into a positive. Maybe if they do kind of feel like it's not a lost season, but a season where learning about yourself maybe matters more than trying to win every single game. Maybe they do go that route and let Zabby take some, you know, make some plays. Yeah, I think that what they're probably prepping for is that, you know, Mac Jones would start every game that he possibly can. And then Bailey Zappi impresses enough this season. Where are you going to next year with him as your backup quarterback for the next three years? And then maybe they make that decision, whether to trade him at some point or get a comp pick, whatever it is. Yeah, this does kind of speed up the process a little bit. And the last time that we saw Brian Hoyer in a starting situation, he made some huge mistakes in the red zone in a game in 2020 against the Kansas City Chiefs. And, you know, Brian Hoyer once was probably considered one of the better backup quarterbacks in the NFL, just because he did have some starting experience throughout his career. He actually won some games with the Cleveland Browns, but it's been a number of years now since he's actually been in that position. He's 37 years old. Last time he took the field a couple of years ago, it didn't go that well. I don't know. I mean, obviously he was probably a better option to be a backup quarterback than whoever else the Patriots would have had this year. But I really don't know if you can expect Brian Hoyer to be winning you games in 2022 at this point. So, yeah, like you said, I mean, they might just have to look at this after starting one and two. They're in a tough conference. They're in a tough division with the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins both being really good, where this might just be kind of a lost season. You see what you've got in your players, and then you have to kind of plan for 2023 at this point. Yeah, it's a tough reality. I'm sure it's not a reality Bill Belichick is even familiar with in any way, shape, or form or probably wants to commit to. Um, but, I mean, yeah, there's young talent over this roster. Some of them also hurt, like a guy like a Tyquan Thornton. It's unfortunate we're not getting yeah. to see him play. Even if he was healthy, who knows if he would have been able to found it, found the way on the field, given all their depth at wide receiver. But, um, you know, I think some of the young defensive players look good. I think Dietrich Wise looked good in that game. Yeah. Obviously, you know, coming off a new deal. They've had some flashes, but at a certain point, like you said, just look at the conference, look at the division. If, if Mac Jones misses, let's say, six to eight games, the odds they're making the playoffs are really, really low. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, it's the unfortunate truth right now. You don't really want to talk about it because he's a guy who just suffered an injury. But the Patriots lost that game largely because of some of the mistakes that Mac Jones made out there. Uh, he, he had, I think it was something like five or six big-time throws, which was great for the Patriots. But then he also had four turnover-worthy plays three of which were actual interceptions. A fourth should have been an interception. Uh, they had a key fumble on a catch by Nelson Aguilar. It, it was a tough performance for the Patriots, for Mac Jones. And, you know, I'm like you said, I'm here in the New England area. I cover the Patriots for a number of years. A lot of the re replies I was getting were like pretty unfortunate. And and it's kind of a, a gut reaction by New England Patriots fans. And they can be, they can trend negatively at, at times. But it was like, all right, good riddance. Let's get another quarterback. I don't think that that's the case. Like you, you want Mac Jones to work out. You like he's shown enough promise at this point, but at the same time, it has been an unfortunate first three weeks of the season for Mac Jones. He has not progressed the way that a lot of people expected him to. So you will, would like to see him come back at some point this season to kind of regain what he was doing last year when he did look the, like the best rookie quarterback uh, in the NFL. Let's talk about another injury in the AFC East. Tua Tango Bailo, this was a strange situation where Tua took a late hit from Matt Milano, hit his head against the back of the turf, got up looking woozy, went to the locker room to go through concussion protocol, then came back at halftime like nothing happened. Uh, Ian Rapport of NFL Media said that it was actually a back injury 
that led him to kind of fall down when he was running on the field that it occurred earlier in the game. Uh, Tuatongo Bailoa is not in concussion protocol right now. In an estimated injury report, he would not have practiced today because of ankle and back injuries. But, you know, it does feel like I don't know what happened. I can't say whether or not Tuatongo Bailoa collapsed on the field because of a head injury. But a lot of these times when players go through concussion protocol, it does feel like their ability to come back on the field matters more about how important they are to the team and to the game than it is about whether or not, you know, they actually sustained a head injury. I don't know. I mean, there's an investigation going on, so we'll see in a couple of weeks what actually happened there. But I mean, to his head hit against the turf on that play. Yeah, like you said, the NFLPA went so far as to open an investigation. It sounds like either the players allowed to do so or the NFLPA can just do that themselves. And right. I'm sure they had some communication with Tua Tagovailoa and or his representation. But nevertheless, the union wants to look into this more. And it's also, you know, Miami has obviously dealt with a lot this offseason and a loss of trust from the yeah. you know NFL league office in New York. So maybe there's some component of, you know, we're just not really trusting you at the moment and we think we need to do some back, back checking of your work. Um, but I, I do hear you. there have been instances where um, you see a guy return. And you say, even if he did pass a test in the moment at halftime, maybe that's not enough. Or maybe there's a there's a common sense component and element to the situation. I'm blanking down on who it was. There was a situation where that happened. And then after the game, a player took the test again and, and was found to have had a concussion. Right. I want to say it was a wide receiver last year. Uh, maybe it'll, it'll spark your memory. But nevertheless, just, yeah. you know. You also, this is kind of bringing back the football, but I mean, you had Teddy Bridgewater, who is a good backup quarterback in the fold. So not trying to tie it to, like you just said, about how important they are to the win and the loss. But in this scenario, you also do have a quality, you know, capable guy if you don't want to risk injury to your top, you know, your starter. Yeah, Teddy Bridgewater entered the game briefly. Miami Dolphins wound up beating the Buffalo Bills in that game 21-19. to Miami Dolphins currently, as we record this podcast, are one of, three undefeated teams left in the NFL. Pretty amazing that after three weeks, or basically three and a half weeks, since one of those undefeated teams is the Dallas Cow- or is the New York Giants who are playing tonight against the Dallas Cowboys, that the only teams who have started 3-0 up to this point are the Dolphins and the Philadelphia Eagles. Those 1972 Dolphins could be celebrating pretty early this season. Uh, but Josh Allen also went in for x-rays after that game. Seems like there nothing really serious occurred there, though, however. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier about a guy who had a lot of big-time throws but also a ton of turnover-worthy plays. Yeah. Josh Allen had six turnover-worthy plays in this game. And I'm telling you, folks, you go throw on the tape, that number I think is a, not a conservative estimate, but they are, <laughs> I think, six inarguable turnover-worthy plays. It was not his yeah. best performance um, by any stretch of the imagination. And it sounds like at some point during the game, in the follow-through of his passing motion, he hit his hand off a, an opponent's face mask or helmet or some hard part of their padding. Um, he didn't try to use that as an excuse. Um, but maybe that had something to do with, you know, maybe the later turnover-worthy plays and some of the bad throws. That that last throw at the end of the game, I'll say this to two and on, and and hopefully two and on respects me. When he just threw a turf missile right at the ground on one of the last plays of the game, if that was reversed and Tua threw that pass and it bounced five feet in front of Stefan Diggs, the whole internet would have exploded. So I'll just give that, you know, that, that is true. Um, obviously, Josh Allen's a great quarterback, but did not look good in the second half of that game at all. Uh, another injury in that game probably wouldn't be the most notable one usually, but Christian Benford, the Bills rookie cornerback, who actually wound up starting the first two games of the season, uh, fractured his hand, I believe, according to Ian Rappaport of NFL Media. That is notable because the Bills already were, were without Tredavious White, who's still coming back from a torn ACL, 
Dane Jackson, who injured his head slash neck area in week two, uh, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde. So then Christian Benford was really the only remaining starter other than Teron Johnson, the, the starting slot cornerback, left in that secondary. Now he's got the hand injury. I'm not sure when some of these guys will be coming back, but that secondary is just in such rough shape right now. And you have to say that, you know, that probably contributed a little bit to that loss to the Miami Dolphins. I think that Josh Allen's performance obviously was a factor as well, uh, but who knows how that game would have gone if they had actually had, you know, four or five of their starting uh, defensive backs in that game. Let's talk about another quarterback injury, and that's Justin Herbert. This was shocking to me. First of all, the fact that the Jaguars beat the uh, Los Angeles Chargers 38 to 10. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is fully back. He looks like the number one overall pick. Doug Peterson's turned that team around, but, the Chargers were losing 38 to 10 and Justin Herbert, despite the fact that he's got you know, fractures in his rib cartilage finished that game. I don't know really what the Chargers were thinking about it at that point. Yeah. Head coach Brandon Staley said Justin Herbert wanted to stay on the field and play with his teammates. I think it's one of those interesting scenarios where it probably made no sense to keep him out there. Maybe he thinks though, we've heard about Herbert being, uh, you know, kind of shy and not a very vocal right. leader and all these things. And so maybe he views it as an opportunity to let him build some of that rapport, some of that yeah. chemistry with all these players, probably kind of silly. Um, but yeah, you mentioned also, we, we probably both need to kind of um, step back. We, we asked for Trevor Lawrence to play well. We said, Hey, we've heard all about you. Where, where are the stats? Where are the numbers? Uh, the last two weeks, he's been great. Um, yep. Their plus 46 in point differential through week three is the best in franchise history. Um, so they're off to a great start. Like you said, Doug Peterson. I, what I found notable with Doug Peterson, too, you go back and watch this game. They were set to go on some fourth downs with like 15, 20 seconds left on the play clock. They are so much more organized to where last year, you know, Urban Meyer doesn't even know who Aaron Donald is. Okay. And they're probably, you know, they have 10 guys on the field for half their snaps. Like they're also just playing sound, fundamental quality football. And yeah, they ran the Chargers out of the building yesterday. Yeah, the Jaguars are one of two teams. The other one is the Buffalo Bills who are top five in EPA uh, per play and EPA per play against. So, you know, after that week one game, they've really turned things around been very very impressive over the last two weeks and uh i think they're not the favorites right now to win the afc south which is still kind of surprising it's actually the indianapolis colts who beat the kansas city chiefs in week three but the jaguars are in second place right now or they, they have the second shortest odds to win the afc south behind the indianapolis colts and then in front of the tennessee titans and the houston texans are like crazy long shots right now i think like everyone else is like plus like 100 to 250 somewhere around there and the houston texans are plus 3300 which i mean i I, i'm not personally making that bet but it does kind of still feel like that division's open enough that plus 3300 it it might not be like the the craziest long shot even though the texans have not looked good uh to start this season there's a report today i think this was once again from ian rapport of nfl media that there's a possibility that the Giants could actually trade Kenny Galladay. This seems kind of unrealistic on the surface. The the Giants would have to essentially eat, I think, all of Kenny Galladay's salary in order to to make this happen. They would probably only get a late-round pick or maybe even just a late-round swap back from a team. But the element here is that Kenny Galladay still has, what is it, $4.5 million guaranteed on next year's salary as well. So the team that would be acquiring Kenny Galladay would also have to be willing to inherit that, right? 
So it's a $4.5 million roster bonus. So the issue there, too, is it's kind of due in March. It's already fully okay. guaranteed, but the team have to pay that, you know, right as this new season begins. They can't kind of figure out if they want to keep them around. It's, it's fully guaranteed it's there. And I actually reached out to someone today who mentioned that as probably the biggest holding point in trade talks will be less so about this year. Right. You know, I imagine the Giants would try to eat some of that salary, like you said, like we saw last year with Von Miller is the example we're always going to point to kind of Denver taking all that money, keeping it on their books so the Rams could make that trade happen. Yeah. I think it would be similar with New York for this year. But this person said, if you want to find a list of teams willing to do this, where you should start is looking at who is willing to have four and a half million guaranteed for next season. And that list is much shorter. Um, I agree with you. It's somewhat far-fetched at the same time. When you're playing a guy two snaps a game who's you know has a $13 million fully guaranteed salary for this year, hypothetically, even if you just save you know his salary less the minimum, because you obviously have to keep you know mm-hmm. something on your books. Yep. Um, even if you just save that and you get a sixth round pick, I, I mean, what really is the difference to you? Right. You get more snaps for young guys, Wondell Robinson when he gets healthy, plays more, and Kadarius Tony, if he if they decide they like him at a certain week, he plays more. It's kind of in a scenario of like you're not hurting your young quarterback and Daniel Jones no, or anything like right. that. Um, I hear you though. It's it's just far fetched for me. What other team would do this type That's of the thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure the Giants would love to trade Kenny Galladay. They'd probably love to trade him, you know, fully with that, that you know base salary and everything. But yeah, it's just about the team that would be willing to take that on right now and who watched Kenny Galladay in the preseason, who's watched him in the regular season, and said to themselves, "Yeah, we we want to take that on." I don't know. It's the, the alternative for the Giants, I think, at some point would probably just be to outright cut Kenny Galladay. So we'll see what happens there. We'll also see what happens in tonight's game. I'm sure some people will be listening to this on Monday. You will already know how many snaps Kenny Galladay has gotten against the Dallas Cowboys. But I don't know, unless he had a, an incredible week of practice or something. I know that Wondell Robinson's still out. I know that Kadarius Tony is doubtful in this game. Maybe there's a path for more snaps, but... I would suspect that we'll probably still see, you know, David Sills and, and Richie James and and maybe even Darius Slayton getting a, a decent amount of snaps in this game. Yeah, so there's one more note there besides the fact that there, the quote from, I want to say Brian Dable, that said David Sills was getting more separation than Kenny Galladay was, was a very mean thing to say about a guy <laughs> making $18 million a year. No offense to David Sills. But just one note as well. I'm not trying to tie these two things together, but they're sort of related. Um, CBS Sports' Jonathan Jones did report that the Chicago Bears are going to be in the mm, market for a receiver right. before the deadline of some variety. Again, not saying it's Kenny Galladay. However, the previous regime in Chicago did make a serious free agent run at Kenny Galladay before he ultimately signed in New York. He visited there kind of late in the process. Allen Robinson actually signed his franchise tag um, about a day later, you know, right after Kenny Galladay took a visit. So some gamesmanship there and kind of some, you know, some, some organizing of contracts. But nevertheless, he's from Chicago, Galladay is. And the old group did have interest, maybe just one team to keep an eye on, you know, to a degree. Listen, I I do not appreciate this David Sills slander on this podcast. I am a proud manager of David Sills on multiple dynasty teams right now. I believe I have David Sills. Uh, I almost don't want to admit this before. Yeah, you should admit that. Because, <laughs> because people are going to listen to this on Monday and David Sills is going to have like one catch for 12 yards. But I'm pretty sure I've got David Sills on some DFS teams tonight as well. Love it. Um, Love it. And, and his salary is not overly cheap. I just know that him and Daniel Jones are best friends. and. That that just means something to me, you know. You, you want your BFF out there, and and those there two go. are tight. There you uh, go. Let's talk about some other injuries throughout the week. Very unfortunate one uh, that I noticed is not actually even on our rundown. 
Rashawn Slater reportedly out for the season uh, with a torn biceps. This Chargers season is not starting out well. It's just they cannot catch a break, right? I, I will say not to go on a, a long diatribe, but we, we have done a lot of studies here at PFF about injuries. For the most part, they are random. There are, however, some clubs that on either end of the spectrum are either overly healthy or overly unhealthy over an extended period of time, and you start to question if there is potentially something there. The doctor mm-hmm. in Los Angeles is the same doctor that punctured Tyrod Taylor's lung um, or whatever. The, I, I don't want to misreport that, but did whatever right. happened to him that knocked him out of multiple games. Um, yeah, I, I mean, now their left tackle, Rashawn Slater, who is a top five tackle per us mm-hmm. since last season, has allowed eight pressures over his last 285 snaps. His replacement in 23 snaps in that game allowed eight quarterback pressures. So just shows you the drop off you're having there. And then, yeah, Keenan Allen still hurt. We just found out Jalen Guyton, their wide receiver, four or five, tore his ACL out for the season. J.C. Jackson, the cornerback who played week two, then didn't play yesterday. Joey Bosa didn't play with a groin injury. They just cannot catch a break in the in Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, heading into the season, there was that competition between Trey Pipkins and uh, Storm Norton for the right tackle starting job. So that wasn't even settled. Now you lose your your superstar left tackle, and yeah, this just kind of has the potential to go to to hell in a handbasket. Speaking of which, the Baltimore Ravens in that game yesterday were on their fourth left tackle because Ronnie Stanley still not back for that injury, that ankle injury. Uh, Juwan James and Torres Achilles in week one. Uh, then they had Patrick McCarry out there for a couple of weeks. He got injured. That doesn't seem like it's going to be a long-term issue. But then they had Daniel Falele, the, the rookie 6'8", 380-pound uh, offensive tackle out there playing left tackle, even though I'm pretty sure he was mostly a right tackle in Minnesota. Uh, had some struggles during the preseason. He gave up like three sacks right off the bat to Dietrich Wise, which was not a great start, but he actually rebounded really well. They actually started giving him some help from some tight ends and fullbacks and things like that. And he kind of pulled that help back and, and he finished pretty strong. So, I mean, that's another team, the Ravens, who are just dealing with a ton of injuries. They had a ton of guys go down in that game. Lamar Jackson really pulled them through that, but they're another team that really has to start getting injury luck back on their favor. A couple other injuries to know. Trent Williams, I think, was reported. He could have a high ankle sprain that could knock him out for a few weeks. And then Joey Bosa also uh, dealt with, I think it was a groin injury in that game. Yep, correct. Yeah, and those are some obviously some notable losses for Trent Williams in particular. You know, he impacts the running and passing game to such a huge degree. Yeah. I mean, he's the highest graded offensive lineman in PFF history last year with a ninety-seven point eight overall grade, above ninety in both facets. I want to say um, with it with, with like a ninety-eight something run blocking grade. I mean, almost almost perfect as a run blocker. They're obviously down to Jeff Wilson now. Their RB two is their main guy. Um, so so just a huge loss there. Jimmy G. You know, he had he did the Orlovsky last night. I don't think anyone was happier watching. <laughs> <laughs> that game uh, that Dan Orlovsky last night, no longer in the club alone. Uh, so shout out to him. Happy for him. Um, but yeah, no, the, the, some some huge injuries across the NFL and and scoring's already kind of been down to start the year and we're yeah. losing important offensive contributors. I think one thing that's been really interesting to see this season is not only are kind of offensive struggling, scoring's down, quarterbacks haven't been overly consistent so far this season. Like if you look at our, our highest graded you know, quarterbacks out there, Lamar Jackson, J- Jalen Hurts, like Jacoby Brissett is third right now as far as overall grade. Then Tua, um, you see guys like jo- Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, five through seven, but then like 
Geno Smith, Kirk Cousins, you're just not seeing the guys who are usually the steadiest performers playing as well as you usually do. And I think that obviously that's one of the reasons why scoring is down a little bit. Um, let's talk about some injuries to skill position players. Uh, let me tell you about a, a very unfortunate circumstance for me, fantasy-wise. Fortunately, this is not a league that I care about that much. But you see, you see uh, Josh Jacobs didn't travel with the team, had the illness. Everyone, including our own Ian Harda, saying, uh, you know, pick up Zamir White. I picked up Zamir White. Do you know who I dropped? I dropped Khalil Herbert for Zamir White. Probably not the best decision this weekend for me because uh, David Montgomery left that game, uh, the Bears game. They won over the – who the Bears beat? They beat the Houston Texans. Um, yeah, David Montgomery left that game, and Khalil Herbert looked like – you know, the best running back in the league. So now he's off my roster, but uh doesn't seem like it's going to be an overly long-term thing for David Montgomery. So head coach Matt Eberflus did characterize Montgomery as day to day today. Yeah. Sing day a lot. <laughs> uh, I will say, I, you know, I, I follow yes, the bears, but all teams, I think David Montgomery might be the toughest player. One of the toughest players I ever can remember following. So if he's day to day, I would imagine he plays Sunday, but that right. being said, um, I think Herbert is, is objectively kind of a better fit in this outside zone rushing attack. He is a one-cut right. and get-up field type of runner. There are some incredible highlight plays from Montgomery, like in the game against Green Bay in Week 2, where he was just kind of zigzagging and making guys yep. miss in space. But if you want a guy that just puts his foot in the ground and just bulldozes forward, um, that was Herbert in this game. He had six explosive yep. rushes, the most in the NFL. He forced seven missed tackles in Week 3, tied with Nick Chubb for the most of any running back. So he was phenomenal, 153 yards is the most of any running back in week three. Um, he is a quality running back to have on your roster, on your fantasy bench. I would never <laughs> drop him for Zamir White. I can't even fathom the idea. <laughs> I, You know, I, there was like other options too. And I was, I was like, you know what? It's the Bears offense. Bears offense kind of stinks. Fair. Like, I don't know if I need to roster the backup running back on an offense that, that kind of stinks. And I did. I did need to roster him. I did need to keep being his uh, fancy manager because he averaged 6.6 yards after contact in that game. But what do you do? Um, I did want to ask real quick, because I'm sure that you paid a little bit more attention to that game than I did. Bears one. Justin Fields really continues to labor out there. Obviously, we can kind of say that this whole season might wind up being a wash for him based on what's around him, based on the offensive playmakers, everything around him. But he was 8 for 17, 106 yards, two interceptions, 27.7 passer rating. I mean, you you would hope at some point in the next 15 weeks, whatever it is, that you'd see a little bit more improvement out of him, right? Yeah, I would say at this point, my hand is hovering above the panic button. Like I have the, the you know, yeah. the, the gate is open. The panic button is there. It's red. It's flashing. I'm kind of just right above it. Um, the only thing I think you can say is that he's just the conditions. Again, it wasn't raining yeah. this game, but it was super windy. Um, and that can impact passing. Mil Davis Mills also had a couple ugly interceptions. I think Fields' two picks were probably worse, though. Um, but yeah, I mean, Mills, you know, the easy jump, Roquan Smith ending the game, basically icing it by jumping that ball. Um, neither guy impressed from the 2021 yeah. class. But yeah, with Fields, I, I mean, we can make the excuses with the offensive line. We can make the excuses with wide receivers. It doesn't help that Darnell Mooney has two catches for four yards right. in three games this season. Um, yeah. You know, a guy that was, was looking to become, you know, one of these highly paid wide receivers and, and prove he's a guy. Um, so you can make those excuses at the end of the day, though. You have to at least be like an NFL caliber quarterback. It has not looked that way through three weeks. We hope for dramatic, drastic changes because 
yeah, at a certain point, you can't blame everything around you. Um, you know, you can say this is why he threw for 220, not 280. You can't say this is why he completes seven passes a game and is lucky yeah. to go over 100. Yeah, I mean, he's got 30 uh, – no, he's got 65 dropbacks through three games. He has attempted 45 passes. Like, I guess the key maybe for me would be – I'd like to see the Bears like let him drop back 30 or 40 times in a game and then see what happens there. Uh, I know that it's not the ideal conditions. I know that the offensive line, the receivers, everything isn't there. I know that it might go even more poorly if they do allow him to drop back a normal amount of times in a game. But I, I don't know. It's just been absolutely bizarre. He's got a 43 PFF grade on the season, 38 passing grade. Um, yeah, I, I'd like to see more. And I'd like to see him get a chance to show more at this point. And that just obviously has not happened at this point. Uh, a couple of other injuries to go through. DeAndre Swift dealing with a shoulder injury. He's been kind of banged up this whole beginning of the season anyway. So I think Dan Campbell said that probably I'd give him a couple weeks off. Then they've got the bye week. Allow him to get fully healthy. And it helps that they've got Jonathan uh, Jamal Williams behind him. It certainly helps. And Jamal Williams, four rushing touchdowns. Actually leads the NFL tied with Nick Chubb. But uh, DeAndre Swift was averaging, I think I want to say 8.5 yards per carry, which is tops in the NFL. Um, he yeah. has forced a ton of missed tackles. He has gotten a great amount um, of, of, of receptions, well, 12 receptions in the season. He's a big part of this offense. And their offensive line is actually getting healthier at the moment, too. It's a yeah. good unit, even with, even with Frank Ragnow, the center, missing some time. Um, but it gets even better when he returns into this lineup. So a big loss for them for sure. But again, tying back to fantasy, if Jamal Williams is not rostered in your league, he probably is. If he's not, though, he's already been a touchdown vulture, even with DeAndre Swift in the lineup. Now he's a true three-down kind of workhorse back. Yeah, some more on uh, drop Jamal Williams for you know someone like Zamir White or something, then yeah, make sure to pick him up at waivers. Uh, also some injuries for the Saints. He saw Michael Thomas go down. He saw Jarvis Landry go down. Alvin Kamara has been dealing with injury. Once again, those things don't seem overly serious. I think that it looks like the Saints dodged uh, some major injuries there. But, I mean, Saints coming off a, a loss to the Carolina Panthers. Saints are not starting this season the way that a lot of people expected them to. No, they're now one and two with two losses in that NFC South. Uh, and, and honestly, they could be 0 and three with with a sweep against their own division. Um, you yeah. know, absent that miracle comeback against the Atlanta Falcons, kind of crazy to think about that. I guess the one glimmer of positivity, because you mentioned Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry, Traquan Smith also a little bit injured as well. But rookie Chris Olave now has 268 receiving yards through three weeks. It actually is outpacing what Justin Jefferson did in 2020 and what Jamar Chase did last year when they both broke the rookie receiving record. He's ahead of them through three weeks. So looked awesome yesterday. I would you know kind of call it his breakout game with 164 yards. I want to say he had um, this rookie class with him included is just. I mean, from day one, letting it up. Yeah, they really are. It's a very solid wide receiver class so far. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Cowboys-Giants game that's going on tonight. Um, we'll do this last so that people who are listening on Monday don't have to listen to us talk about a game that already happened. But uh, the most fascinating thing to me about this game is that either the Giants are going to start the season 3-0 and or Cooper Rush is going to start his NFL career 3-0 and as a starter Unless these two teams tie, which kind of seems like the inevitable in this game that these two teams are going to wind up tying. But uh, I'm, I think I'm feeling the Cowboys more in this one. It hurts that you're not going to see Michael Gallup out there. Seems like Dalton Schultz also uh, not expected to play in this game. But 
I just I feel like the floor is going to fall out on the Giants at some point. Everyone around the NFL that I talked to this year expected them to be a, a rebuilding team. I think everyone's shocked that they're already 2-0. Can't see them starting the season 3-0. I think the spread right now is that the Giants are favored by one. I personally would take the Cowboys in this one. Well, I guess I, I should argue with you, but I can't even this week. I can't even fake it because I also <laughs> I, I like the Cowboys in this game as well. Um uh, it's it opened as as actually the Giants minus three and moved to one. Um, I mean, yes, obviously it's Cooper Rush, a quarterback for Dallas, but um, sounds like Micah Parsons, who has an illness, is going to be good to go. That's obviously a huge play to have in the lineup for Dallas. Uh, and then Jason Peters is making his debut. Um, you know, I'm not an offensive line coach. I don't totally get why he's not playing left tackle, but nevertheless, right. apparently he's going to play guard and they're going to keep um, Tyler Smith, the, the rookie, out at left tackle. I would say one thing there. Maybe Tyron Smith, not Tyler Smith. They're a longtime left tackle, about a decade now. Maybe them keeping Tyler Smith out there and saying, you know what, this is your job, is a bit of an indication about how they feel about the long-term prospects of Tyron Smith as a Dallas Cowboy. Um, but nevertheless, like I said, I, I'm with you on this one. We see it the same way. It might be you know, 17-14. It's not going to be a barn burner. But I think Dallas pulls out a, a close victory in this one. The Giants, yes, they're 2-0. But you look at all the advanced metrics, yards per play, and, and yeah. all of our stuff behind the scenes, they're not good. <laughs> um, right. They've just gotten some wins over a bad Tennessee team and a bad Carolina team. And I think Dallas comes in and wins a big one tonight. The, uh, the, the point total is 38.5 right now. I think kind of surprisingly on our, on our green line, the edge is on the over there at 38 and a half. I would kind of lean towards the under on that one. Maybe I'm going against the company on that one, but I mean, I don't know with, with Michael Gallup out with Dalton Schultz out uh, with Kadarius Tony out with Wandale Robinson out. It just seems like I'm not totally sure how these teams are, are, are going to score a bunch of points in this one. Maybe you see some defensive scoring, but uh, that that's one that I kind of uh, look at as being interesting as well. But um, yeah, I'm I'm fascinated to see how this game winds up because I don't know either the Giants are three and zero or Cooper Rush is three and zero. I love it. What a beautiful what a beautiful outcome no matter no matter the case. All right, anything else we uh, you wanted to talk about on on today's show? I, what we we missed one of the three uh, NFC North running backs, Dalvin Cook, also uh, got got dinged up in the game. Um, he yep. also was super tough and has played through a lot of ailments in his day. Uh, sounds like it's his shoulder that he did not get surgery on. He has a torn labrum that he just left alone, which actually is fairly common. Yeah. Um, and he's gonna wear a harness and play through it. But another guy that maybe is worth throwing on the bottom of your bench just in case. And Alexander Madison had yep. a touchdown in that game against Detroit. Um, I want to say made five guys miss tackle only on seven carries so it was 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 bouncing around out there and making some good plays um just another nfc north running back to keep an eye on yeah i think alexander madison is now wearing like number two or number three yeah, also two and i hate it <laughs> yeah, when i saw him out there i was like who is this guy oh it's oh it's alexander madison though i tweeted about this it, it was while i was at the game first of all so the patriots have jack jones a cornerback wearing number 13 and the ravens have kyle hamilton the safety wearing 14 I don't know at what point I'm going to get used to defensive backs wearing numbers in the teens. I have no problem with defensive backs wearing numbers, you know, one through nine, single digits, 20 through 40, whatever it is. Great. The teens just, it looks so bad to me. And I, I wish that, I don't know. It's cool that players get to pick their own numbers and everything like that. But I really wish defensive backs would not wear numbers in the team. So it looks bad. We should do a full show. I think the people would love like a half hour show of our just boomer takes on the numbers. Um, <laughs> and just how much we hate. Cause I'm on the exact same page. Mine is 
I think if you're a college edge rusher and you want to get drafted, you should wear a higher number because if I'm watching mm. you and you're coming off the edge wearing 28, I think you're small and undersized, and I don't think you have the ability <laughs> to play at the next level. It's just me. That's that's totally fair. Uh, one other note, just from covering that Patriots-Ravens game, Mark Andrews spoke after the game. I, I, I basically covered it from a Ravens perspective because they were the more interesting team afterwards. Mark Andrews is looking so jacked this season. Like he's listed at 6'5", 247 or something like that. This is something I probably should have asked him at the time, but there was more pertinent questions to be asking him. But like he is so jacked. I would not be surprised if he's like 260, 265, something like that. And he's absolutely ripping it up for the Ravens this year. Uh, he had two touchdowns in that game. One of them was a shovel pass from Lamar Jackson. The other one was a, a jump ball over Devin McCourty, who's a really good defensive back still in his in his old age. So, yeah, Mark Jackson, uh, he's he's uh, Mark Jackson. Mark Andrews having a hell of a season and, and looking really jacked out there. So, all right, that will do it for us for today's show. We will be back on Wednesday. Hopefully I'm not still feeling under the weather at that point, uh, but keep it on pff.com for all of your news and analysis. Subscribe to PFF Plus, $79.99 a year. Download the PFF app. Subscribe to the PFF Wire podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm going to start having to say this at the top of the show, but put in your reviews, write in review, do all that good stuff. Uh, follow Brad on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad. Throw me a follow at Doug Kide. And we will be back with you guys again on Wednesday. So talk to you guys at that point.